that'll do it, this version. And a block to finish. And DeSosa blocks it, and now the bench is empty. Just unnecessary. Yep. That's not good. This That's is a this punch is call. This is bad. This is a no. No good. Oh, this is terrible. If you watch sports, or maybe even if you don't watch sports, by now you are familiar with that audio and you know uh, exactly what happened uh, at the end of the game between Kansas and Kansas State uh, some days, or actually about some weeks ago now. You know the name Silvio De Sousa. And as much as you know the name, you know their face. Or not even the face. You know the gesture. You know of this young man with a Kansas jersey on holding a stool or a chair over his head. And so when he did that, even though he did not hit anyone with the chair and actually put the chair down, you know of this young man as the face of the fight. Now, I'm not here to defend these players. Certainly... Everyone who threw a punch or, you know, was involved in a, you know, uh, violent or retaliatory gesture should have been punished. My concern and my um, criticism of this situation is the overreaction that led to one young man being punished significantly more than everyone else who was involved in that situation, specifically because of the media's portrayal and interpretation of this young man holding a chair over his head. Now, when we talk about sports and what is clear to me about sports at this point is, is that there are so many sociological and political factors in sports that lead to how we feel about athletes that lead um, to how we feel about basically everyone involved in this particular arena. And so when you juxtapose race and class and these type of things with athletics, you get the type of stereotypes and overreactions that we saw with Silvio de Sousa. If you see that picture or if you have seen that picture, you know, as uh, Mr. de Sousa is holding the chair over his head, you also see a young white woman who is uh, almost hanging on to him or almost to the side of him. And she looks terrified. And this picture is important because again, there's the juxtaposed stereotypical uh, black man who is, quote, out of control. And then there's the uh, white woman fearing for her life. It's the type of uh, picture that, you know, we've seen on a Vogue magazine with LeBron James and a white model. It's it's an image that makes the white woman look pure. It makes the black man look beastly, look like an animal. Silvio D'Souza was suspended for 12 games. A Kansas State player got an eight-game suspension. No one else was suspended for more than three games. And that is a lot of what I want to talk about today on Making a Difference. When you become the face of the fight, your image becomes distorted. And the facts of a story don't matter as much as the feelings behind the story. And in a country that continues to treat black people like second-class citizens and passes policies that disproportionately affects black people. Those feelings of fear and hate don't allow for redemption, only retribution. Um, to be a Negro, to be a Negro in this country and to be um, relatively conscious is to be in a state of rage. Almost, almost all of the time. You wonder why I spit the truth and not to make no dope. To make a difference. He's got nothing to lose. When a fighter ain't got nothing to lose, he's dangerous. Fight, fight, fight. I gotta play this fight music because y'all not mad enough. M-A-D, making a difference. I'm your host, Ken Making. So glad you're here with me, man. Got a lot to say and a little bit of time, man. So we're gonna go ahead and get right to it, man. Just wanna thank you guys so much for listening to uh, this podcast, uh, for following me on this journey, man. Uh, just so grateful for our sponsors. You'll hear from them during the course of the show. I want to thank everybody who 
I just in so many different ways, people support the show. People support the show, like I said, just by, um, you know, with financial contributions, not just people who, you, you know, who's agile here, but also just people, you know, through Patreon, uh, through Cash App. We're trying to do amazing things here and those things cannot be done uh, without you guys. But I just want to talk about, you know, the face of the fight. And when I was thinking about this thing, and like I said, I've, you know, had time to really think about it. Um, and of course, you know, I saw the end of that game and, you know, what happened. And it was remarkable to me how it was reported. And, you know, I'm not, I don't know if I said this at the beginning, but I'm, I'm not trying to defend these kids from a perspective of saying, well, they should have been punished for fighting. Of course, they should have been punished for fighting because that is something that, you know, is not, um, not a part of basketball, shouldn't be a part of basketball is something that really, you know, when that uh, incident spilled over into the stands is something that became, you know, very precarious and something that where people could have gotten hurt. Uh, but at the same time, it's important to, to note that, you know, thankfully no one got hurt, but it was just remarkable to me how fast, um, you know, really just the court of public opinion and, you know, uh, sports media, uh, became judge during execution. Uh, executioner uh, as it related to Silvio de Sousa. I thought that was very unfair to him. I thought the way that the situation was reported, he did pick up a chair um, and it was initially, re you know, reported that, you know, an assistant coach, you know, took the chair from him. But if you go back and if you look at that video at some point, I really do think that uh, de Sousa, you know, uh, kind of, you know, re regained his senses and he dropped the chair behind him, you know, and, of course, the assistant coach was there and, you know, got the chair and, and however that worked out. But, you know, I, I feel like that he was really just presented in the story, you know, kind of as a brute. And it's important to really just kind of look at uh, just that entire situation, because so rarely the media really doesn't dig deep uh, into, you know, what's going on with these young men, what's going on, you know, with Kansas and, and that particular team. And I think, you know, um, I'm just grateful, you know, just for this outlet to be able to uh, be able to address those things and just, you know, kind of look at the situation holistically in a way where people can understand, you know, this is here's why this happened. You know, before we just, you know, drop, uh, you know, give a blanket indictment to this kid and, you know, uh, so many names and, you know, you know how it goes, you know, and it's important to, you know, to face facts so many times in sports and you can't help but watch it and see it. Uh, what you have in sports is, is that you have a black labor force. You have black, you know, people who um, are literally looked down upon from the stands and they are vilified for various reasons. They're vilified because they are in a position of privilege, whether it be the privilege of, um, you know, being a celebrity, whether it's the privilege of money and or in the case of, you know, the college players where they are unpaid, which they shouldn't be. Uh, but they have the opportunity of or the illusion. I know I'm saying a lot, but y'all know my heart um, of a free education. And so they are uh, there is a, a certain uh, it's not always a racial resentment. Uh, it is. It can be. Uh, but there's there's more of a, of a of a classism element. And we really see it, you know, in, in the pros. What you may hear from people from time to time. And it's, it's really code. Uh, I hear people say, well, because I'm, I'm a fan of the University of Kentucky. I refer to the Kentucky Wildcats in basketball. Uh, men's basketball and so I wear Kentucky stuff from time to time and people will say things to me like you know well I like and, and look unsolicited keep in mind people will say things like you know yeah man I love I love watching college but I hate watching the pros and you know you get this conversation of you know the, the pros are so entitled and, and different things like that and you know it's, there's there's just these narratives and these stereotypes that are, are simply untrue and I alluded to that on the last podcast and, you know, just want to say once again, you know, rest in peace to Kobe and, and Gianna Bryant. And I mean, you know, it's I think about two days later, um, you know, since that happened and the sports world, really the world and literally the world uh, is reeling from this. And as I alluded to on, on the previous podcast, you know, I said, you know, we really don't get to see these athletes beyond the media perception and the media's interpretation of these folks. And so it, Sometimes it takes 10, 15, 20 years to really know whom or who we're dealing with in terms of an athlete. And I feel like Kobe Bryant's one of these folks where Kobe was such uh, an intellectual and had evolved into such a role model for um, young men and young women and older men and older women. And it was really just remarkable. But for the life of us, we could not get past Kobe. 
um, you know, Kobe versus Shaq or, you know, what happened with Kobe in Colorado or, you know, is Kobe better than Jordan or is Kobe better than LeBron? And these type of just uh, debates that, as I explained to a, a group of my colleagues, uh, and my brothers, really, um, that instead of this being about an appreciation for greatness as it relates to Jordan, Kobe and LeBron, we uh, actually it was an act of depreciation. Because we look for flaws and, you know, well, Kobe doesn't do this or Jordan didn't have that or LeBron didn't do this. And it's it's really when you look back at it, it's just so foolish. And it's sad that Kobe's it took Kobe's death for us to really just kind of say, you know what, this is silly. And, you know, extended beyond that, obviously, Kobe and just the pride he took as a father. And, you know, I had a chance to talk with my good friend, Donald Doe, man, who. I appreciate those, you know, support of the show and just just like like I said, appreciate those brotherhood. Really, we really had a chance to talk about Kobe from a fatherly perspective and, you know, having a two year old son just turned two uh, on the 2nd of January. You know, it it really hits different. You know, when you think about Kobe as a dad and you think about Kobe being with his daughter in those final moments and just really as a father, as a parent, you want to do everything you can do for your kid or your kids. And. Anything short of that makes you feel really deficient. So I can only imagine like, you know, what Kobe was going through in those final minutes, just aside from like the obvious, um, just the, the perilous situation they were in, but just to be in that situation with your daughter, it's just, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's unimaginable, man. But I do want to come back and, you know, talk about this Silvio de Sousa and just the, the fight that happened uh, between Kansas and Kansas state. If you're just checking in, you're listening to making a difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. Uh, appreciate you guys as I always like to say so much, man. Uh, this is called Face of a Fight. It's called Face of a Fight because of Silvio de Sousa and the media overreaction uh, to what happened. And, you know, largely because of, like I said, uh, the media and I just think the court of public opinion uh, basically uh, acted as judge, jury and executioner for this young man. I mean, he got a 12 game suspension, which, you know, <laughs> you, you have to I, the NCAA. It's, it's so hypocritical and. It's hypocritical from the from the perspective of you treat these kids, you treat these young men like animals. And no, let me be specific. You, you treat them like cattle. You herd them around. You know, you, you trade them around. You you go, you you know, you go into these your parents living room and, and you recruit them and you make all these uh, promises to them. And, and really, they're, it's it's indentured servitude. I've, I've said that the entire time. But all during that process, you. Uh, you demote these kids and you make them less than until they make a mistake. And then they, you know, so you want them to be kids until they make a mistake. And then you want them to be adults. And that's really just the beginning of the NCAA's hypocrisy because they suspended this kid, but they didn't suspend this kid for the rest of the year. No, they suspended this kid up until the big 12 tournament, which is to say, okay, well, look, at the end of the day, this is still about money. And so we want to have, you know, uh, this young man to be on the court when the games matter most. So in many ways, I just filed this under, like I said, the NCAA's hypocrisy. And I'm just I'm un unable to take them seriously. And it's it's deeper than that, really, because what the NCAA continues to do with these athletes is a civil rights issue, because it is an issue where a billion dollar industry does not or does not have the fiscal responsibility for these kids while at the same time spending gobs of money on quote unquote facilities and, you know, all of these expenditures that are so unnecessary. And yet at the same time, these kids whom you go into these um, lower income communities, into these impoverished communities, and you take advantage of these kids and you don't pay them. And don't tell me for one second that a college or the promise of a college education or the aspiration toward a college education is equal to paying these kids what they're worth or paying these kids a stipend or a salary because it's not. And you can look if it's at, at this point, it's like this. It's 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 an issue of will. Will you look up the information? Will you do the research to see how statistically uh, this is unfair? Will you, you know, look at the documentaries? Will you listen to the, will you read and listen to the commentaries? Or are you just going to stick with your biases and say, well, hey, they're getting a college education. And so many of them aren't, not because they aren't intellectually capable, but because they are athletes first and students second. They are not student athletes. They're athlete students. 
And it's so interesting to me, the faces that you see out front, you see the kids out front, you see the coaches out front. But if I ask you, like, who's the governing board, who's the governing body of the folks in the NCAA who make these decisions, you never see their faces. And I think that's very telling because the athletes have to endure whatever scrutiny, you know, they have to deal with, whether it's on the court or off the court. Coaches are the same way. But these folks who make these god awful decisions for these kids and by extension, you know, for these uh, the opportunities that are that are available to them for these you know, uh, on these college campuses, the folks who make those decisions, we hardly ever see them. And that that is by design because they are, you know, they can uh, make these decisions in silence. I think if you look at just greater society, you know, some of the decisions that are made are made by people whom we never see. And that is to our detriment because some of these folks we elect to these positions and then, you know, they campaign and we see them and then they win and then we don't see them anymore. And that is a problem. If you do not see the face of the fight, if you do not see the face um, whom is representing you or should be representing you, that is a huge problem. And that is actually going to be uh, the next component of what we're going to talk about on making a difference after we take a commercial break. So stick with us. What's going on, everybody? It's Knife Wonder right here, man. And you're checking out Making a Difference with my man Ken Macon. Keep it locked. Peace. Adversity, challenges, and mediocrity are a part of any business or organization. What separates a good business or organization from a great one is how staff and members work together to reach common goals and to keep their eyes on the prize. I'm Janice Allen Jackson with Janice Allen Jackson Associates, LLC, and there is a better way for you to reach your goals. Our mission is to enhance the effectiveness of organizations by equipping leaders to better serve their customers, employees, and the larger community. While many consultants provide the same solutions to each client, we tailor our approach to you. We provide leadership-based speaking services, strategic planning, problem solving, and other organizational development services to government, business, religious, and nonprofit organizations. In business, it's important to have a leg up on the competition. With any organization, being on one accord and identifying why you aren't achieving what you want is crucial. We specialize in excellence, so we work hard to understand your needs and work with your organization to achieve and meet those needs. Call or text me today at 704-707-5114, or you can email us at JaniceAllenJackson at gmail.com. We're here to help your organization find a better way. Follow Janice Allen Jackson and Associates on Twitter at this handle, J-A-J and Associates. LLC. That's spelled J-A-J-A-N-D-A-S-S-O-C-L-L-C. Do you need insurance for your car, home, life, or business? Then trust Jay Harvey, your Allstate insurance agent in Evans, Georgia. He opened his agency in 2017 because he loves helping and working with people. As a husband and father, he understands the importance of helping families prepare for the unexpected. You can get a personalized insurance quote today by calling 706-434-8106. Jay's office is located at 3118-8 William Few Parkway in Evans, Georgia. Remember, you're in good hands with Jay Harvey, your neighborhood Allstate insurance agent. Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. We're talking about face of a fight. And, you know, I, this conversation started, you know, talking about what happened at the University of Kansas uh, and the brawl between uh, Kansas and Kansas State. And I really want to take this conversation uh, to another place in terms of uh, just thinking about the face of a fight and face as it relates to representation. And I think it's just very important. You know, what happens, you know, as we talk about sports and politics and where uh, there's an uh, intersection, um, what happened really an intersection as it relates to celebrity and different things like that as well. Is I think we have to be very mindful in terms of who we allow to represent us. I will, and I don't normally do this, but I'll start this from the perspective of celebrity because I do want to actually, I'm going to work my way back toward um, the urgency of local representation because I know particularly here in Augusta, that's going to be vitally important. But I just want to talk about just what can happen. And I'm actually reading this book now. It's an incredible piece of work. I would recommend anybody get it. Um, it's called Full Dissident. Uh, the name of the book is Full Dissident. It is by Howard Bryant, and I'm actually reading it as we speak. Uh, <clears throat> I'm pretty sure I've said on the show before, I've encouraged folks to read uh, Howard Bryant's The Heritage. It's a book that 
Uh, again, it just talks about, you know, just kind of sports and social commentary. And uh, it I mean, it really hits home in terms of just, you know, the concerns that face African-Americans and just some of the the propaganda that we see in sports and, you know, um, how, you know, we see these displays, um, you know, for the military and for, you know, law enforcement and, and different things like that. And also understanding that, you know, when you talk about the military in particular, when you talk about, you know, law enforcement and, you know, these things in the black uh, among black people. You know, you have to deal with the realities of police brutality. When you talk about the military, you have to talk about the realities of war and what war does to people and uh, the propaganda in this country that's associated with that. And so there's the heritage. I would definitely recommend that you get that. And also uh, as a follow up. And that's what I'm doing now is I'm reading full dissident. Uh, the word dissident uh, is a, a word that actually. Uh, it basically says, you know, hey, I'm a person who uh, looks at a system or looks at a government and says, no, things aren't um, things aren't right here. And so what you do as a dissident is you rebuke those things. And in some cases you may say, well, I'm going to separate myself from those things. And so Howard Bryant says in his introduction, and this is just such a powerful introduction, he says to be black is to be a dissident. And in America, it's sad but true um you know as as african as african american 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 americans Americans, as as black people then there is a distinction just from the perspective of uh, my preference is to say black because to say african american denotes that uh there is a, a tangibility to the american dream and that may be true for some individuals but it is not true for the majority of us and i despite uh, some opportunities that I have in my life, you know, despite just the things that are going for me, I associate myself with the general populace. You know, I'm not satisfied with the opportunities I have. I want to see those opportunities be available to everyone, you know, uh, to those people, you know, who look like me, to those people who don't look like me. And that is, you know, where the local politics component comes into it. Uh, so many of us, you know, we, we look to athletes, we look to celebrities to, you know, uh, harbor, uh, you know, and, and to represent our political interests. And that's just simply not feasible. It's it's and it's really illogical when you look at, first of all, just the level, the the wealth disparity between your the people you root for or the people who you watch, the people who you may idolize versus yourself. A lot of those times there's we're talking about millionaires. We're talking about people who just simply live in different lives. And so their politics are different from your politics by virtue of where they are and how much money that, that they're making. And that, you know, um, that may be an issue in and of itself. And I'm not really going to get into that. My focus is more to say, if you're going to do that, just be careful, even with a situation. And, and Mr. Bryant talks about this in his book, just, you know, you had the juxtaposition between the NFL and Nike and so those entities took sides, but still there were flaws with the NFL. There were flaws with Nike. And he just um, talks about it so masterfully. But my component is more about local politics, because with local politics, as you know, I tend to say on the show, you have the chance to go and talk to these folks and find out who these folks are. And Augusta, uh, what's going on right now is that uh, the residents of Augusta in Districts 1, Districts 3 and Districts 9 um at least for the, the the commission, have an opportunity to meet all of these candidates, to talk with all of these candidates. And I can I can just tell you how you can do that. It's something that is definitely available to you if you're listening to this podcast and you're in Augusta. Just go to AugustaGA.gov and you can actually go to see the candidates who have pre-qualified, um, the preliminary candidates for these particular um districts uh they will qualify uh in march they will officially qualify in march but you know these candidates have made their names known and some of them have their numbers there they have their emails there so you can hey if there's a you know in district one i believe there are five candidates so if you want to know who these folks are you can reach out to them we are certainly doing that uh here with the making a different show i've had a chance to actually already sit down with one of the preliminary candidates i hope to uh, speak with all of the candidates. And so we have reached out to them in that regard. And so you can imagine uh, in the weeks and the months to come, we will uh, certainly uh, take advantage of that opportunity to speak to the candidates, to learn more about them, to gain 
uh, an understanding of what it is, you know, why they're running um, and, you know, if elected, you know, what their aspirations are and certainly, you know, their, their campaign promises and different things like that. And so, you know, we do that and we'll do that under, you know, primary focus as as we've done before, uh, not only with, uh, you know, the incumbents, but also with uh, candidates who this may be their first time running. And so I I enjoy that. I enjoy it simply because it gives an outlet um, not only to the candidates, but it gives an outlet for um, the constituency to know who these people are. So often we don't know who they are. And if we don't know who they are, uh, we put ourselves at such a profound disadvantage. Uh, when people say things like, you know, I don't get into politics, it's OK to hold. It's OK to say, whoa, 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 whoa. To not involve yourself in politics is to n- not uh, take and seize control of your life. And I mean that from the perspective of when you say you're not involved in politics, you have to understand something. Politics dictates how much you pay for water. Politics dictates, you know, um, you know, that pothole that you have to dodge every day on your way to work. You know, politics, politics dictates how much you pay for child care. There are just so many intricate things that can be affected by whom you elect to public office. And particularly as it relates to black people, the importance is to understand we talk about so many disparities and different things that exist. And a lot of those disparities exist in terms of city services and the lack of opportunity and the lack of things that are available to black folks. And so it is urgent and incumbent upon us to be a part of that process, not just when it's time to vote for people, but to always be a part of that process. And that is something that that we passionately talk about on this show because you want the face of that fight. You know, it's it's one thing for the face of that fight to look like you. And I think that's what we look for politically. We look politically for people who look like us, who we feel like are like us. But that's not uh, it's not adequate. It is important to elect people who we identify with in terms of the issues, in terms of the concerns that we have. And those concerns to me have to be more empathetic instead of saying, well, I got I, I got mine. You got to get yours. That's we can no longer afford to have that attitude because what has happened is, is that we've allowed that attitude to permeate our society. And really what it's allowed is it's allowed corporations and it's allowed the establishment to build on to so much more. Uh, to what they already have, and they do it at the expense of of the rest of us. I'm gonna go to another commercial, and actually, before we go to commercial, I want to play a song. I'm gonna, and I just think it's so relevant when we, when you know, I'm talking about so many things, and you know, I'm wanting to hold government accountable, but again, with what's happened with Kobe Bryant, just you know, thinking about life and death and just mortality, and just with all of these things that are kind of in the air right now, I think this is the perfect song. Uh, to play for this particular podcast. It's by Fela Kuti. Uh, it's uh, called, the name of the song is uh, Water No Get Enemy. And I want to challenge you to, the song's going to make you, you know, want to get up and, you know, it's going to want to make you bop in the car or whatever. But I really, if you get a chance to look at the lyrics and to really look at the deeper meaning of the song, I would challenge you to do that. I think it's just such a powerful commentary. Uh, and it's an entertaining commentary as well. Uh, Fela Kuti, uh, next on Making a Difference. Come on, let's go. 
to making a difference with my handsome husband, Ken Macon. This is Donald Doe and Mike Hill Doe with Family Financial Consultants. Do you need help with Medicare, with affordable mortgage and life insurance, building an estate for your child? We provide these types of services for you and much more. As independent insurance brokers, we take pride in coming into people's homes and not only saving them money, but changing their lives. Imagine only paying a few dollars for your medicine instead of hundreds, or cutting the cost of your insurance premiums. Our goal is to provide affordable policies tailored to your individual needs. Give us a call at 803-293-8915 or 706-503-3933. Family Financial Consultants, LLC, located at 412 Edgefield Road in North Augusta, South Carolina. Agents work for companies, but a broker works for you. 
Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. We're talking about Face of a Fight. Uh, I want to talk about the black president. The black president, of course, is Fela Kuti. And the song that I play for you guys is actually an interpretation of uh, Water No Get Enemy uh, by D'Angelo, Macy Gray, and Femi Kuti. Uh, you can listen to the original version. I would encourage that you do that 10-minute, 10, 10 11-minute version uh, if you want to hear the original uh, Water No Get Enemy uh, say uh, that obviously that Afrobeat sound and you know, uh, you, you get a lot of the instrumental and it's just, it's great. But I want to continue with Face of a Fight, of a fight and really uh, essentially close out uh, with Face of a Fight because I want uh, to extend this conversation to talk about uh, the, you know, what we view as the civil rights movement and some of the heroes of that movement. And, you know, we're getting ready to come into the period of Black History Month. Y'all know how I feel about Black History Month. Black History Month uh, was a, an idea. It really was a stopgap. It really was a, a should it was intended by Carter G. Woodson to be a precursor for um, a black history curriculum, for black history to become truly a part of American history. But we treat black history like we treat black people in this country, uh, like it's second class. And that is so, um, you know, dishonest. And and I, I can really just say, you know, for certain that because this country does not understand the power of black history does not understand the relevance and the role of black history a lot of that lends to the negative stereotypes and the just false narratives that we see um about black people and a lot of that's because of you know how we how we treat the history and so you know when we think of the face of the fight in terms of civil rights you know the face that we think of is the reverend dr martin luther king jr and that is you know in a lot of ways you know that's positive obviously you know dr king and you know, what he means and what he meant um, to so many people, uh, obviously, you know, he, he, and he's still relevant today. My issue with uh, the him being the face of the fight, and is like I said at the beginning of the podcast in the introduction, when you allow an individual uh, to be the face of something, uh, what can happen is, is that that face becomes distorted. And in a situation where you have an individual that, is representative of a fight that really involves each and every one of us. What happens is, is that it's almost a divide and conquer method wherein Dr. King's legacy has been stripped and taken down to the point of, you know, where it really just is so far away from the man and what he believed in. And I would encourage you, you know, to read Dr. King's books for yourself, hear from the man, you know, read, you know, why we can't wait, you know, read um, chaos or community read these books and what you're going to read in those commentaries is a you're going to hear from a man whom if you have solely relied on you know king day um interpretations and you know what you know the you know um, uh, american propaganda and the public education system private education system have taught about dr king you're going to hear from someone who is totally different um, in these commentaries. But when you talk about civil rights, you're talking about so many different people. I mean, you're talking about Malcolm X, you're talking about Fred Hampton. And what you're talking about is you're talking about young men who uh, determined in their 20s, in their 30s, that they were going to make a change. And so many of the people who listen to the show are in their tw 20s and are in their 30s. And so much of what we do societally um, is still dictated by seniors, when you look at Congress, when you look at, um, you know, your local, you know, um, wherever you may go, your religious organization, uh, in all walks of life, in politics, these uh, fields and roles are dictated and are dominated by seniors, by people who are um, not even late 40s, more like late 50s, early 60s, people in their 70s and 80s who are making these decisions. And their experience is certainly appreciated. But what happens and, and it often happens is, is that these people are, um, you know, the guards of, you know, of antiquated ideas, of antiquated policies. And if you're in a town or towns like I am, I'm in, you know, in North Augusta, I'm in Augusta, I'm in these areas. At least places seem stagnant. It's because there isn't a youth movement. There isn't, you know, um, the just the passion and the energy of, of young people we do not see, you know, in politics. And that is to our detriment. I, I had a, a great conversation, like I said, with a local uh, candidate who, you know, I'm looking forward to really sharing that conversation with you guys because he is a, um, 
like I said, a young man. He's actually 26 years of age. I believe that's what we he said on the podcast. Uh, but he is a, has a, a very active role uh, in, uh, you know, just uh, the political infrastructure and, and really just, you know, kind of making the rounds. And I guess he's been around for a while. Uh, I actually asked him during the podcast and said, you know, what's your age? And he was like, yeah, I'm, like I said, I think he said 26. And I was just like, wow. Because, I, like I said, as, as long as, you know, I've, I've been in politics in Augusta, you know, I, like I said, I've seen him around for, for many years. And so I was just really impressed with that. I'm, I'm impressed with a lot of young folks who are taking this thing on. If you're in media, you know, if you're doing podcasts, you know, whatever it is, like I said, it's, it's just so impressive. Like I said, I'm, you know, I'm sure people who listen to this show will say, well, Ken, you're a young man. And I, you know, I am a young man. I'm young at heart, uh, young in age. I'm 36 years old. Uh, you know, be 37 this July, you know, Lord's will uh, be able to still be able to be doing podcasts and hanging out with you guys, man. But, you know, I appreciate, you know, just got to shout him out because I love him. You know, Maine Carlton, uh, you know, uh, Maine Bradley, who does more than the Masters, uh, Carlton Clover, you know, is with Victory Productions. And these are, you know, younger guys, you know, who are I mean, Maine still in his 20s. Uh, and so shout out Slim, Slim of SNS, you know, who does SMS, looks Slims. But, um, you know, uh, Rodney, man, love you, man. Um, appreciate what you guys are doing. But uh, the understanding of that is, is that when you take this on at a younger age, um, the idea, and this is what I really just not so much in part, because when I talk to people, man, who are younger than me, like even with my brothers, man, I used to try to be the big brother. And I'm sure some people will say, well, yeah, he's kind of like a big brother to me. But really, like I really when I have these conversations with folks, I try to have even though I may have you know more experience or may know about something like I really try to have dialogue. You know, I really want it to be something where I'm learning from you as much as you're learning from me. And to me, I think that's what is lacking uh, when you talk about, you know, your boomers and your seniors in, in, rela- in relationship or being juxtaposed rather with your 20s and your 30 year olds. And that's why you have a generation gap. And that's why, you know, young, uh, older folks are, you know, that's where you get the term millennials from and these millennials. And, you know, you say these millennials, but, you know, these are your sons and your daughters. These are your in some cases, these are your grand your grandsons and your granddaughters. And, you know, you say it, you say millennials like they're just some, you know, arbitrary group of people who are tearing up everything. And it's again, it's, it's a false narrative. It's something that's that's simply not true. But I do want to get back to this idea of, of the face of a of a fight. And I, the challenge, I think, of, of this podcast is I, I want to try to accomplish two things. The first thing I want to accomplish is, is that I want to challenge people to do their research when it comes to a situation. Because what happens societally is that controversial things happen. And it's so easy with the way social media is set up and just our desire for instant news and instant commentary to go into a situation and to speak on it in a way that it it may not be the intent, but it lacks journalistic integrity because people didn't take their time to do the research. And I think the Kansas versus Kansas state situation is a great example of that. Obviously the optics of it were very bad, but I think when you get from the optics to the result of what actually happened, I think there is a difference. And that is why I can safely say that people overreacted to what happened. And as a result, this young man whom, in all honesty, should have gone into the draft last year simply because what has happened to him at Kansas, again, if you've done your research um, and have looked into the the life and the times of Silvio de Sousa, you know that this young man was uh, determined to be ineligible because uh, I'm, I'm hesitant to say the word handlers, but someone who was supposed to be his guardian or someone who was supposed to be protective of him took money um, and so it made him ineligible, uh, to play last year. And so this young man actually in the midst of this game that he had played had only been in the game five minutes. And so, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, you, you look at a young man who, who's 21 years old. I'm sure he's obviously very frustrated about how things have gone. He probably wishes at this juncture, certainly that he had gone into the draft, but it's just, you know, one of the things that we do, I, we do it with athletes. We do it with individuals is, you know, we say, well, this one person made it and we look at the example of the person who made it and rarely do we look at the people who failed. And I think there are cautionary tales in people who fail and we should look at those tales. We, we celebrate the we we focus on the celebrity of a thing, the celebrities that come out of a, a situation, but we don't look at the cautionary tales. We, we do this 
uh, in, in virtually all walks of life. And it really exacerbates, or I should say it really facilitates uh, what we do uh, in this country, which is, you know, we focus more on retribution and punishing people than we do on the redemptive part. At any rate, the first part uh, of this, uh, like I said, podcast, the focus is on, is on doing your research. The second part is to understand that the face of a fight is really the face that you see in the mirror. That's been my experience, uh, not only in, in politics, but a lot of the stuff that I've done, that if there's an issue and you are looking for a resolution in terms of speaking truth to power, in terms of, you know, rallying people together, like that can start with you as an individual and understand that one person can make a difference in terms of getting the ball rolling. I've, I've seen it firsthand. I've done it, you know, a lot of time. I've done it a lot of times myself. I've, I've taken that responsibility on, not just in terms of the podcast, but in actually doing the work. And I, you know, appreciate folks who say, well, Ken, you know, you're doing the work. You're actually doing the work. And that's good. But I don't ever want people to be discounted or discouraged because, you know, you may feel like or somebody may tell you, well, you know, you're just saying these things in social media. Understand you have a voice. I know I'm saying a lot of different things, but I just feel like these ideas are are, um, are central to, you know, what I believe in. And what I believe in, believe is, is that we've been doing a lot of stuff wrong in terms of how we look at politics, in terms of how we, you know, address it and how in many ways we need to attack it. And we are ready, getting ready to, you know, look at these faces and say we want these faces to represent us. Certainly, if you identify with the Democratic Party, uh, the Democratic um presidential primaries are coming up very soon. And, you know, there's a look, <laughs> so many different candidates. And the question you have to ask yourself is which candidate uh, best represents me? What candidate best represents my community? Not based on previous affiliation, but the authenticity and the focus of what it is that they're trying to accomplish. Uh, this is something that I'm going to talk about on future podcasts, because I think it's something that is worthy of being a separate podcast. There are you know, with the candidates that, you know, who are remaining, I just think it creates a, a unique opportunity to just say, well, hey, this is how I feel. It may feel like it's a discouraging process because, you know, there really isn't a clear cut favorite uh, in terms of the Democrats. And even the Democrats, I think, are just in the fight for their political and, and collective soul because, you know, they're a party that w wants to be a party of, and really the two party system in general. You know, there's a profession, you know, of wanting to be a party of the people. But what ends up happening is, is that, you know, you really end up serving corporate demands and, you know, Democrats and Republicans alike, you know, fall victim to this. And this is something where it really just underscores the importance of people being involved. But people will say things like, you know, your vote, your vote is your voice. And I'm like, no, your voice is your voice. And, you know, you should never be penalized, you know, for saying, well, I don't like these two candidates, so I'm not going to vote. That's just not an act of defiance. It's an act of dissidence. And, you know, that's something that should not be discouraged. You know, there's a place in our society to say, I don't believe in this. We're so used to just blindly following these ideas. We're, we're so used to blindly following, you know, the military and blindly following what governments do and blindly following, you know, um, you know, the political structure to the point of apathy. So. You know, we, we blindly follow these things, but it's 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 a hollow belief. And I think that hollow belief is, you know, why we're so unresponsive to a lot of the things that are happening in our society that we know aren't right. And so that's the challenge um, is to, you know, to step up uh, and to step out and to fight those things, man. And that's certainly a fight that I'm here for. I'm not going to stop, you know, uh, fighting on, uh, well, you know, what I believe is a collective behalf certainly was, you know, on my behalf and my family's behalf and the people around me. And I'm going to fight for those things. You know, I, I see things even in this community and, and even, you know, the situations that happen here are situations that happen all over the country. And we cannot stop speaking out against those things, no matter how unpopular it may be to, you know, certain people. But, you know, I got a two year old kid, man. Um, there's a lot at stake, you know, in terms of his future, in terms of my future. Cause like I said, I'm, I'm still a young man. So. Um, so glad to, you know, have done this podcast and to be a part of, um, to have you certainly to be a part of the making a difference experience. I want to take this time to encourage you guys. Um, there's so many different ways that you can check into the podcast. First and foremost, I want to encourage you, you know, if you want to send feedback, you can always send feedback by email, the email, um, 
is making a different show. That's M A K I N a different show at gmail.com. That's making a different show at gmail.com. You can also, and I would strongly encourage you to follow us on SoundCloud. It's soundcloud.com backslash making a difference. You got Spotify, you got iTunes, follow your boy. It's making M A K I N. Uh, and it's actually the apostrophe there. So it's like making a difference. You can follow us on Spotify, iTunes, uh, wherever you get your podcast, I want to encourage you to follow. And certainly if you can't, if you can't find me on Spotify or iTunes, just follow us on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com backslash making M-A-K-I-N a difference. You can also financially support the show. And my goodness, I'm just so grateful for that support. Uh, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash making a different show. You can also uh, cash app, uh, send us uh, some support, financial support by cash app. It is dollar sign making a different show. Uh, we'll be back really soon. I know you guys are. <laughs> I know I mentioned Doe a lot on the show. Doe had me laughing. Doe said, "Oh man, you back in the game?" I'm like, "Yeah, man, I'm I'm back in the game, man." And I actually had left social media for a little bit to try uh, to make this, like I said, uh, more than the podcast a week. We we really want to have making a difference, be at the at the forefront of news, be at the forefront of what you guys are looking for in terms of podcasts. The podcast that I listen to, I listen a lot to a lot of ESPN podcasts. I listen to Bomani Jones so much. Those podcasts are twice a week. And so, you know, if you're understanding that national podcasts and podcasts of relevance are they're doing shows two and three times a week, then making a difference has to accept that challenge as well. And we are going to do that. And we just have so many great topics and things that are going to come up, things that are going to shake you at your core, uh, things that will hopefully uh, if they don't change the way you think, they're going to tweak the way you think. And, you know, and I'm just, I'm always here for the dialogue and for the discussions, man. Like I said, take advantage of that email. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com backslash making a different show and Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is difference making M A K I N. We'll follow that. I appreciate you guys so much and love you. Peace. God bless. The revolution will not be televised. You see, a lot of times people see, 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 see battles and skirmishes on TV and they say, aha, the revolution is being televised. Nah, the results of the revolution are being televised. The first revolution is when you change your mind about how you look at things and see that there might be another way to look at it that you have not been shown. What you see later on is the results of that, but the revolution, that change that takes place will not be televised.